So Genesis chapter 18, we studied chapter 17 last week, and that teaching is available online if you'd like to take a listen to it, as all of them are, at aloveoutreach.com or on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can find it a couple different ways. But um, I want to go ahead and jump right on into our study here for this morning. So we'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 3 of Genesis chapter 18. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing. um, So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, If I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Okay, so here we see Abraham as an old man now. He's sitting at the door of his tent. Now don't picture a small tent here because it's probably a pretty decent sized tent where Abraham and his wife Sarah live here at this time. But nonetheless, Abraham is sitting here at the door of the tent, most likely just trying to get some air because we're told there that it was during the heat of the day. And we're told here too that the Lord appeared to him here. So let's, let's, not, let's make no mistakes about the facts here, right? This is the Lord and two of his angels that have come to Abraham at this point in time. Now, how can I stand here and say that this is the Lord and two of his angels? Well, the only thing we've been told thus far is that three men were standing by him, right? If we stay within the context, we just see that three men were standing by Abraham. So how can I make the statement that it's the Lord and two of his angels? Well, you always want to read scripture within its full context. Always read ahead read behind. Don't just jump in the middle of a scripture because that's how you can pull out a bunch of different doctrines if you just take a certain portion of the scripture and set it aside. And people have built churches doing that. But what you want to do is kind of read the full context of everything here. So again, verse one tells us though that it is the Lord that appeared to Abraham. And if you take a minute right now to look down at verse 33, so in the same chapter here, verse 33 You'll see we're at the point in verse 33, and we're going to study the rest of the verses here. But in verse 33, it's kind of where this conversation is going to come to an end. And we're told there in verse 33 that it says that the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And then if you look at verse 1 of chapter 19, so the very next chapter, the very next verse, verse 1 of chapter 19, right? It says, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. So if you put all this together, we see that the Lord and two of his angels appeared to Abraham. That's where I get that information. It says three men were standing by Abraham. But again, if you read ahead, you see that at the end of this conversation, the Lord goes his way and two of his angels go on to Sodom, okay? So after that conversation was over, that's what took place. So just spend a little time when you're studying or when you're reading the Bible, make sure that you read it in its context. 
You know, that's, that's how you avoid false doctrines and religions and things like that that get built, right? But again, we see back in verses 1 through 3, it's the Lord and two of his angels that are standing there with Abraham. Abraham sees them, then he runs to them from his tent door to meet them, and we're told that he bowed down to the ground. And then reading verse 3 again, so I'm back in Genesis 18, 3, it says, Abraham said, my Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. So Abraham recognizes that it's the Lord here. We are not told about how this is the case, how Abraham recognizes that this is the Lord, Adonai. Why do I say Adonai? Because that is the Hebrew word that is used here in the original script of this, the word Adonai. Abraham calls him Adonai. Adonai simply means Lord. That's why it's translated in our Bibles in the English as Lord, because that's what it means. But Adonai is a word in the original Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in. It was only used to speak of the Lord God, the eternal God, the everlasting God. You would never use that word for anything else. And, you know, in our day and age, there are other people called lords, right? You can go to England and find Lord so-and-so or whatever. We'll see later in this chapter that Sarah even calls Abraham Lord, but it's not this word, Adonai, okay? So this is Abraham seeing God here. He's seeing God in the flesh, and I'm going to expound on that a lot more here this morning, okay? So, and back there in verse 1 where you see the word Lord, though, that's a different Hebrew word in verse 1. That Hebrew word is the word Yehovah, or what we would pronounce as Jehovah, right? Yehovah, right? Which means the existing one, the eternal one. So how Abraham knows this is the Lord, we're not told in these scriptures here, but make no mistakes that this is the one that is appearing to Abraham. It is the eternal God, Jehovah that is appearing to Abraham here. And Abraham bows down before him and he calls him Adonai. And we also see in verse three there that Abraham refers to himself as a servant of the Lord, okay? So he recognizes who he is. He's just a servant of the Lord. Abraham goes on in verse four and says, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Now, again, just to drive this point home a little deeper here, we know that this is the eternal God appearing to Abraham. This is God appearing in human flesh. And one of the ways that we know that he has taken on the form of a man and has human flesh here is that he has feet that are able to be washed. So if you just read the context, Abraham says to the Lord, let's wash your feet, you know, take a rest, sit down, relax here, right? So this is not, I'm pointing that out to say, this is not a vision that Abraham is seeing. This is something that is actually happening, happening here. Abraham is speaking to the Lord God. You see, here's the thing though. Jesus in Luke chapter four, in the New Testament, in the book of Luke chapter 24, verse 29, Jesus said that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. And I'm going to keep expounding on this topic here. But thus far, what we see happening is very clear. Abraham is seeing the eternal God in human flesh. Now, but this is where some people would say, well, hold on a minute here. Does not the scripture say 
that no man has seen God at any time? And we know that the scripture does say that, that no man has seen God at any time. So let's expound on it. Let's use the scriptures to interpret the scriptures. Uh, Mark this page in your Bible, because we're going to come back to this page and turn to the New Testament, okay, to the Gospel of John. Take a minute to find the New Testament book, the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and we'll start reading in ver- down in verse 45. So go down to verse 45. This is Jesus speaking here, it, and it says in verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now I'm jumping in the middle of some scriptures here, but Jesus is explaining to a group of religious people of that day, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, that whole group of people. He's explaining who he is. Okay? And he says that anyone that has learned from the Father comes to me. We know that in other places in the Bible, right? Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." He said, "No one comes to the Father except through me." So a person that comes to faith in God must come according to scriptures through Jesus Christ. Okay, and but in verse 46 there, though, Jesus says, not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. So Jesus seems to make it clear here that no one has seen the father God. Right. No one except for him. That is, Jesus says that he has seen the father God. Right? And he's making him clear to people. And if you look back at verse 38 here in this same chapter, look back at verse 38. You see where Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven. So again, as I touched on last week, it's crystal clear here that Jesus is the one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. We studied that last week. Jesus is the one that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus, okay, in his body. And he says here in verse 38, I have come down from heaven. He was God in the flesh. We know from the scriptures that Jesus was born of a virgin, that the spirit of God impregnated Mary, and Jesus took on human flesh. God took on human flesh, right? But who's to say that God, El Shaddai, if you remember, we talked about that Hebrew word last week, El Shaddai, that's another name for God, which means the all-powerful, all-sufficient God, eternal God. Who's to say that he could not have taken on human flesh to appear to Abraham as well back in Genesis chapter 18, right? And we also saw when Melchizedek came out to greet um, Abraham after the battle, we know that that was most likely the Lord appearing to Abraham as well, right? Later on, as we get into Genesis, we're going to see that Jacob, 
will wrestle, actually have a wrestling match with God later in the chapters in Genesis, right? But you say, again, you might say, well, hold on, this doesn't make sense. Did not Jesus say that no one has seen God? So how could Abraham have seen God? Well, let's keep digging in here, right? Because I'm belaboring this point because this is a tough chapter in the Bible. So I'm belaboring this point because a lot of people get confused with that. They say, wait a minute, no one's seeing God, but it seems that Abraham is seeing the Lord here. So how can, how can this be? Okay, so turn back a couple chapters, stay in John here, and we're going to look at John chapter 4. Okay, so same, same book, just a couple chapters back, chapter 4 of John, verse 24. Jesus speaking says in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Okay, so Jesus says here that God is spirit. And we know that Jesus also said that a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Okay, I quoted that to you. That's from Luke chapter 24, right? Verse 29, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So he's saying God is a spirit and a spirit does not have flesh and bones. So God the Father is a spirit. And we know that he is the spirit. He's described in John chapter one as the one that created everything, right? If we go back to John chapter one, verse one, it says in the beginning was the word. Now, what is that talking about? That's talking about the beginning of creation. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And if we read Genesis chapter 1, we'll see that, that God that created heaven and earth, we're told, is a spirit that hovered over everything and spoke everything into being. That's how creation came about. God spoke it all into being, right? Right? So John chapter one then says in the beginning was the word, that word that was the spirit of God that spoke everything in, into being. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. But then it goes on to tell us in John chapter one that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the God that created everything in the beginning, and we're still in Genesis right now, right? But the God that created everything in the beginning, many years later, became flesh. How did he become flesh? He came into, by his spirit, into the Virgin Mary. And then a child was born. A baby was born. But then we read last week and we studied that all the fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus, that child. But he grew up as a man. He was 100% a man. Why did he have to be a man? Well, because he was going to take our sin. He was going to go through everything in life that we've gone through. The Bible says he was tempted in all ways like as we are, but yet he remained without sin, right? Because why did he remain without sin? Well, he's God in the flesh, but yet he was tempted in every way. And ultimately, he was crucified for our sins, dead and buried. And ultimately, he rose again from the dead to eternal life, and ultimately, he's coming back for us. We now come to him by faith. We now place our faith in him, God in the flesh, right? 
But anyway, I'm kind of getting a little off track here, but the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus says, God is a spirit. So in that sense, right, a spirit does not have flesh and bones, right? I know that I'm one person. Each one of us here are individuals, right? But I am, I have a spirit. I have a soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, right? That part of me that thinks, that reasons, that cries, you know, that laughs, that whatever, right? That's who I am as a soul. And then I, the, the, the least part about me is my body. So we are a spirit, we have a soul, we live inside of a body. God is a spirit. God took on human flesh in Jesus Christ, right? So, but the spirit itself is, Jesus said, doesn't have flesh and bones. But the spirit came into Jesus and all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus. See, that's unlike you and me today. We're not gods, We can't have all the fullness of God in us. We just have the spirit of Christ in us through faith in Jesus, right? Jesus was God in the flesh. So a spirit does not have flesh and bones, right? So let's go on here. So we're we're staying on track. A spirit does not have flesh and bones, but the spirit of God was in Jesus and fully, okay? Now, John um, chapter 1, I'm going to have you go ahead and turn there now, back a couple chapters. I was quoting a lot from John just there, but, but if we look down at verse 18 of John chapter 1, it says right there, no one has seen God at any time. But it says, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So in the New Testament, it is in Jesus that God is made known. Again, born of a virgin, became a human being. In the Old Testament, though, where we're reading in Genesis chapter 18, where we're reading, the Lord God also took on human flesh a couple times in order to speak to his servants. God appeared as as a man in the Old Testament to his saints, but later on, God was conceived in a womb and then appeared to all humanity. But as we look at the Old Testament, we see a couple, and I used a word with you um, a while back called theophany. It's a theological word. It just means God appearing in the flesh, God appearing to human beings. And we see that in the Old Testament, like we're seeing with Abraham here. So I'm just trying to explain to get past that hump of how, how is it that no man has seen God? at any time, but we're saying that Abraham has seen the Lord God. Well, Jesus said, God is a spirit. No one has seen the spirit of God, right? You know, 1 Timothy 3 says that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. The Bible itself calls this a mystery. It's sometimes hard to understand. 1 Timothy 3.16, it says that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles. A Gentile is just a non-Jew, right? Believed on in the world and received up in glory. That's God. He was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by the angels, preached among the Gentiles, 
believed on in the world, and received up in glory. You see, today we are Gentiles here. And again, the Bible only really classifies two groups of people. There's not a whole, like we separate people today, right? According to scriptures, there's just the Jew that was dealt with from God and the Gentile, the non-Jew. All of us in this room are Gentiles, non-Jew. But it says that God was manifested in the flesh then preached to the Gentiles. That's us. We received Jesus Christ who was manifest in the flesh as our Savior and our Lord. And then it says he was received up in glory. But we also know that he's coming again, right? So sometimes the Bible even says that the mystery of godliness is hard to understand sometimes. But if you take the scriptures and you dig in, and I've, I can only do it in a certain period of time because I don't want to keep you here all day, but there's many scriptures that you can dig into to kind of dissect and put it all together. You have to study the full counsel, the whole counsel of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, which is why I go through it like this, verse by verse with you guys. You know, we've already gone through the whole, pretty much the whole New Testament from John through Revelation, and now we're back in Genesis here. But remember, we're talking about El Shaddai, the Almighty God, the all-powerful God, with whom nothing is impossible. So no man has seen God the Spirit, but God the Spirit, the eternal God of all creation, He can do whatever He pleases. And He appeared to Abraham here. And if He pleases to take on human flesh like we're seeing here, then that's God in a, as a spirit dwelling in human flesh. Let me give you a very simple analogy too. Thinking of God as a spirit who does not have flesh and bones, who you cannot touch, you cannot see. Right? We, we don't see God. We might look at creation. The Bible tells us in Romans that you have no excuse for not believing in God because you can look at creation and know there's a God. Right? But we can't see God right now. We can't reach out and touch them. And I'm just going to give you a very uh, simple analogy here of a balloon, right? You picture a balloon and it's full of air. What is it that is giving that balloon its fullness? You see that it's round, it's big, it's, it's got something in it, right? But what is it? It's air. And if you let that, if I were to have a balloon here and I would let, slowly let that air out of that balloon, not one of us here could see the air in that balloon that's coming out of it. It just blends right in with the air that we're breathing right now. But when the air is inside of that balloon, the balloon has been made full by the air. So God is a spirit, but he can be known in human flesh by dwelling inside of a body like he did as he appeared to Abraham. And all the fullness of the Godhead, every bit of God dwelled in Jesus Christ when he was here on the earth, right? Someday, right, we all have a spirit within us, the Bible tells us, but there's something about our spirit, right? Our spirit dies because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And what happens is, is we can still be walking around as living human beings on the earth, but be dead spiritually, because we've not been made alive spiritually in Jesus Christ. So we don't have the knowledge of God. And many people on the earth don't have the knowledge of God because they're alive. They have a body. They have their soul. And they can think and they can move and their hearts beat and, and all of that. 
but yet they're dead spiritually, right? But when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ and they acknowledge Jesus as their Lord, then the Spirit of the Lord comes in them and they are then made alive spiritually. Their eyes are then open to something they didn't know before, something they didn't see. And we know that the Bible tells us that this happens through the reading of scriptures as well. 1 Peter chapter 121, I believe it is, says that you know, we're born again through the word of God. So that's why it's important that we, that we understand the word of God. That same word that created everything in a being, that spoke everything in the beginning, I mean, the same word became flesh. So now we have the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in Jesus Christ walking on the earth. Jesus then goes to the cross. He dies on the cross. Why? For our sin. To take care of our sin. He's buried. And then he rises from the dead. But before he leaves the earth, he tells the disciples, we read, he says, I'm going to not leave you alone. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And he ascends back into heaven. So then the Holy Spirit is then sent to people that profess their faith in Jesus Christ. They believe in Jesus. They come to faith in him. And it's really that simplistic. It's not very complicated. Today, unfortunately, it's been made about a lot of other things. You have to be a member of this church. You have to do this. You have to do that. But when you read the Bible, you see it's very simplistic how you come to faith in God. You just come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then you begin to study the word and read the word and you begin to grow in him. And you place your faith in Him and His Spirit comes within you. You can't see the Spirit of God within you, within me. I can't see the Spirit of God within you. It's like trying to see air, right? But yet I can see the effects of the Spirit of God within you. Just like the balloon has the effects of the air within it. That's what's called the, your fruit, right? The way you live your life. You begin to... You begin to see things differently and things begin to change and you see the effects of the Spirit of the Lord, but not you don't see the Spirit of the Lord Himself because the Spirit does, have, does not have flesh and bones. I have flesh and bones. And in this flesh and bones, I'm someday going to die still, right? But the Spirit of God dwells in me, so I walk by faith and not by sight, as we're told in Scripture. So there's a lot to this, but I, and I kind of went off on all of this to say, because there is always that question. Someone says, well, how can that be the Lord that is appearing to Abraham if you can't see, if no man has seen the Lord? Well, you can't see a spirit. But yet the Lord God can take on a human body as he did in Jesus and as he's doing. So back in Genesis chapter 18, turn back to that page we had marked. So that's something you could just take some time to meditate on, and there's a whole lot to that. There's a whole lot, but you dig deeper into the Word of God, and you find these things out, okay? And you have to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, because there you could go and look up everything I just taught you, and you can find where people say, that, that must be a vision. Abraham must be having a vision, because Jesus said no one has seen the Lord. So Abraham must be having a vision. It can't be real. But yet when you take time to go through the scriptures and find out, well, wait a minute, God is a spirit and a spirit does not have flesh and bones. Right? So you just got to break it all down and go through it all. So now we're back in Genesis 18 and we pick it up in verse 4. 
right? It says, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. So this is what Abraham says as he runs out to greet these three, okay? And and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by. Inasmuch as you have come to your servant, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into his tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender of, uh, and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. So now we see the main reason that the Lord and his two angels stopped by to see Abraham here. It has something to do with Sarah. Verse 10, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. So you get the picture here. Abraham's outside the tent under the tree with the Lord and his two angels. Sarah is just inside the doorway listening to what's going on here. I'd be doing the same thing, right? This is an exciting time, right? To say the least. Now, verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So we've heard this a few times in Genesis here, haven't we? This point is made clear that that what will take place was impossible for Abraham and Sarah. So it had to be the work of the Lord. If I told you folks here in this room that you were going to catch the winning pass in this year's Super Bowl, it would have the same likelihood as Sarah getting pregnant. Okay, you would think that was a ridiculous statement. If I came and said, hey, one of you is going to catch the winning pass in this year's Super Bowl, right? It's unlikely. Well, that's how unlikely this is for Abraham and Sarah. Verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. So this wasn't a a LOL, right? Sarah didn't laugh out loud here, okay? She, did, she, she just internally laughed, kind of like you all did when I said you're going to catch the winning pass in the Super Bowl this year, right? But again, to her human mind, as she looked at herself and as she looked at her husband, this is ridiculous to think that this is really going to happen. But again, this is God Almighty. This is El Shaddai. This is the all-powerful God, the all-sufficient God. And he has a grand plan that's going to begin to unfold with this child that will be born from Abraham and Sarah. And And all of history will be affected by it, even you and me, all the way up till this very day because of what's going to take place in the life of these two people. A nation will come out of them. 
And then we know nations of people will come out of Abraham because many people will come to faith in Jesus Christ someday, right? But verse 13 says, And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So that question there at the beginning of verse um, 14, that should be written on our hearts as well. That question that says, is anything too hard for the Lord? That should be the very foundation of our faith. And of course, we know the answer. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. It's not too hard for the Lord to appear in human flesh. And it's not too hard for the Lord to work in your life as an individual for His will to be done. If you have it at the core of your faith that nothing is too hard for the Lord, you will do more in this life as a servant of the Lord than you ever believed possible. Because your faith is not in your own strength, your own abilities, right? It's not about your own intelligence or lack thereof, right? It's not about anything about you. It's because you trust in the Lord God Almighty and you understand and you realize that nothing is too hard for Him, okay? So verse 15, but Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So as Sarah stood there in the tent doorway, again, she gave no outward appearance that she had laughed at the Lord's statement. But again, this was God Almighty, the one who sees the heart, the one that knows our every thought, the one who sees what we do not see. He knows all and he sees all. Sarah thought that that laugh was just between her and her, right? But it was not, right? And nor should we ever think that God doesn't truly know everything about us. He knows our doubts. He knows our fears. He knows our worries. But yet, what He wants us to do is cast that all aside and say, there's nothing too hard for my God, for my Lord. Verse 16, Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. So, you get the picture here that they're kind of moseying away from under the tree and they're kind of pointed in the direction of Sodom, the city, right? So Sodom seems to be where they are headed. And Abraham is walking with them. And then verse 17 says, uh, 17 says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So now something is about to be revealed right here. The Lord has a plan and the plan has something to do with what he's going to do with this city of Sodom. 
And in verse, uh, and in verses 17 through 19 here, the Lord is pointing out that Abraham has favor in his eyes. And he's going to do a great work through Abraham and his descendants. And he says in verse 19 there that he's going to do righteousness and justice. You see, righteousness was not the case in the city of Sodom. Okay? Sodom was a place of perversion, as was Gomorrah. But justice is about to come to the city of Sodom. And the Lord's angels are on their way there to check this out. And the Lord decides here, though, that he doesn't want to keep it from Abraham. He doesn't want to keep what he's about to do from Abraham because Abraham has favor in his eyes and everything and his whole plan is about to unfold through Abraham and Sarah, his whole plan for this whole world, right? And he doesn't want to keep it from him. So the Lord will tell Abraham his plan. In verse 20, and the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So we will see as we go on that the Lord will now send his two angels on this fact-finding mission to find out what's really going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's heard some things that are going on there. That are, there's been an outcry that has come to his ears, probably through people praying to the Lord and saying, Lord, look what's going on. It'd be like us praying today, Lord, look what's going on in our nation. Look what's going on in our world, Lord. Bringing this to prayer, in prayer, before the Lord. And this outcry has come to him, right? And of course, we know in our English language, we have the word sodomy, which you can look up on your own, right? But do it quickly because the dictionaries are changing. <laughs> the dictionaries are changing to suit the perverted society that we live in, right? They're changing the words. But sodomy is sodomy, and we know what it means. And this city of Sodom will be judged for its immorality, as will the whole earth be judged one day for its immorality. And the Lord God does not want to keep what he's, you know, what's going on here from Abraham. Then verse 22, then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So again, these two angels go off on their fact-finding mission. And as now, it's just the Lord and Abraham standing here. And Abraham is now bothered by what he has heard from the Lord because remember, he has a family member that lives down there in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where his nephew Lot and his family live, right? So verse 23, And Abraham came near and said, would you, so he's speaking to the Lord here, and he says, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? So Abraham is trying to reason with the Lord here. He knows that justice needs to be served, right? But he understands why the righteous... but you know, would perish along with the practice of this 
abom you know this abomination he doesn't understand i should say why should the righteous perish with all of them as well right he continues in verse 25 far be it from you to do such a thing as this to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be as the wicked far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do right so you see it's okay for us to come before the lord in prayer today and speak to the Lord from our heart. But you see, justice is justice. If a nation makes laws that says sodomy is okay, it's acceptable, this does not mean that God's law will not supersede that law. Because the truth is the truth. And the truth doesn't change. God's word is truth. And not the laws, not, none of his laws will ever change. None of the word will ever change. It says what it says, and it will always be the same. Now, our nation has taken the Word of God out of our society and continues to do so. The Word of God used to be allowed in our public schools, but now it no longer is. The words of God are being taken out of our courthouses today as well, right? But again, this doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change anything, right? You can mock the Word of God, you can call it antiquated. You can call those that adhere to the Word of God, whatever you will, but nothing changes the truth contained in the pages of the Holy Bible. So justice will be served, right? But again, it's okay for Abraham here to ask God to consider the fact that there might be some righteous people in that city of wickedness as well. And verse 26, so the Lord says, if I find in Sodom... 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I am who I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for a lack of five? So he said, If I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again, saying, Suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, Let the Lord not be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So it's kind of interesting here because it may be that Abraham is throwing out these numbers here. He may be realizing that there's not that many righteous people in the city of Sodom. So he keeps lowering his number. Well, hold on a second. There's probably not that many righteous people there. And as time goes by here on this earth, it seems that the, the, the number of righteous people on this earth is dwindling as well. The number of people that will walk by faith in the Lord and not give in to the world, that number is dwindling today. It seems as if unrighteousness is prevailing in our world today, and especially here in our American culture. Evil is being called good and good is being called evil. You see, we already know, though, that there is a final judgment coming. There will be justice. And the Lord 
may be on his way. As we see these angels going to find out, hey, what's, what's going on here, right? And we need to take a stand for the Lord today. And we need to plead with the Lord today as Abraham does on behalf of each other, on behalf of our family members, on behalf of people we know. Plead with them, right? Pray that we will be able to withstand the evil of this world and not be duped into accepting that which is contrary to the word of the Lord. And I say not be duped into it because that's how it happens. The things of this world will distract you from the things of the word, okay? But the word of the Lord will stand. And if you're not careful, you end up, you end up finding yourself saying, well, I kind of see what they're saying, you know? It kind of makes a little sense that, well, maybe they were born that way. You know, I'll buy into that, so I'll accept that sin. Or, or maybe this sin over here, maybe it's okay. Maybe we can put up with that for a little bit. No, what does the Word of God say? It doesn't say that, right? We need to take a stand, right? And then verse 33 says, So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and returned, and Abraham returned to his place. So quite an encounter here, to say the least. Abraham saw God in human form, washed his feet, prepared a meal for him, and spoke with him. Kind of reminds me of the Last Supper. But in that case, God in the flesh washed the feet of the disciples, had a meal with them, and spoke with them. Okay? God became a servant to teach his servants how they should live this life. That was Jesus. And Abraham was a servant of God and was rewarded as such. God does indeed want to hear from his servants. He wants to commune with his servants. And he wants us to pray to him and to seek him. But he wants us to take a stand for him. Let's go ahead and close this morning by turning to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, and let's start reading in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. These are scriptures you really should meditate on. You put on the full armor of God because the devil is coming in every which way. He's coming and he's changing this, he's changing that. He's doing everything that's contrary to the word of God. But we need to put on the full armor of God. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So scripture is telling us that the battle's much deeper than flesh and blood. It's much deeper than what we just see, okay? It's much deeper than the people that are doing certain things. There's a spiritual battle that's conquering these people. There's a spiritual battle that's conquering this nation, nation and causing us to make laws against the word of God. We need to pray in that realm. We need to pray in the spiritual realm. So verse 13 says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Okay, so this is going to show us what the armor, armor of God is. 
This is what we need to put on. Truth is first of all, right? The, ble- the breastplate of righteousness. Okay? So we need to put on righteousness in our lives and, and, and care about righteousness. Take a stand for righteousness. Take a stand for what's right in God's word and God's truth. Okay? And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So after we put these things on, we're to take the gospel to people. That Jesus Christ is the answer. And we need to turn to him. Above all, taking the shield of faith that you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So that faith, that faith is what you stand on. And it's like you're holding that shield of faith. And when these darts are coming and, and, and these lies are coming, that's changing things in our world, you say, no, my faith says this. My faith in what? My faith in the truth of the word of God. That makes me stand for righteousness. That causes me to believe in the gospel and preach the gospel. That's what's going to quench all these lies. But if I don't know the word of God, I don't even know that they are lies. I just start to accept these darts coming at me. I don't even realize that they are lies, right? Then you take verse 17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Do you notice that in that armor there, that's the only offensive weapon. Everything else is defense. Everything else protects you. The only offensive weapon here in this armor, as it's being described, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's what cuts through everything. That's what fights the battle. That's where all truth is brought there. Right Now today, people are saying, we don't want that. We don't want the Word of God. We'll accept this, but we don't want that. We have schools in Tennessee, a public school in Tennessee, teaching the Quran. That's acceptable, but the Word of God is not allowed in there. They're teaching these kids to write in the public school in Tennessee that Allah is the only true God. And they're taking them to a mosque and making them bow down in these mosques. This is a public middle school in Tennessee, in our nation. But they don't allow the Bible. They don't allow the Word of God. So things are changing, and things are getting more and more evil. Then verse 18 tells us, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So you see, there is an enemy of God that exists in this world. And he, Satan, is leading the world today away from the word of God, away from all of these things, away from the gospel. And The world indeed is going to hell in a handbasket right now, turning from the truth of the word of God. But if you claim to be a Christian, then we have to live like it, okay? Put on the whole armor of God. Be a true follower of the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Having done all to stand, keep standing. Believe the word of God, not your favorite media outlet, right? Believe the word of God, not the news, okay? Believe the word of God. Don't follow the way of politicians. Follow the way of the almighty God because he's laid everything out for us in his word. Right now, you know, as I, as I think of all of this, a song comes to my mind. It's an old Christian song that says, judgment and wrath he poured out on Sodom, but mercy and grace he gave us at the cross. It says, I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. And 
That's what he is. We serve him, the almighty God, the awesome God, the one whose plan started way back here in Genesis. And it continues to unfold. And we see that its truth still stands today. We see that, you know, th- there was conflict in the Middle East in Genesis. And now we're all the way up here all these thousands of years later and there's conflict in the Middle East over the same group of people that, that was there in Genesis. The truth of the word of God stands all the way through. And there's one way and only one way, but our God is an awesome God. He is a consuming fire. He's a God of justice. And he came down here and he appears to Abraham and there was justice about to come to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham pleaded on behalf of them. And there will be somebody spared in Sodom and Gomorrah. It will be Lot and his family, but that's it, right? And today, judgment is coming. There will be a judgment that will come upon this earth, but there will be people that will be spared, pulled out of here in the rapture. And that will be those that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, the only way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your holy word, your written word, your unchanging word. We thank you that you indeed are an awesome God, the almighty God, the everlasting God. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, I pray that as we understand that and as we see that in Scripture, that we will put our faith in that, Lord, that we will stand upon your word and and that we will guard our ears and that we will guard our eyes, that we will protect what we allow our eyes to see and what we allow our ears to hear and what we allow our hearts to receive. If it's contrary to your word, Lord, then we won't accept it at all. May we be firmly rooted and fixed in the power and the truth of your word. May we put on the breastplate of righteousness. May we shod our feet with the gospel of peace. And may we live like we are your servants, Lord. We pray your will to be done in all of this. And again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.